I'm Ann Police. And I'm Denise Cooper. And you're listening to Two Average Girls. Today, we have the most awesome guest, Jason Fries, artist, wow. producer, <laughs> uh, minister. Oh, yeah. I'm I mean, a <laughs> yeah. so many things. I'm not sure if you want me to do minister events for you, but I, you know, we might I'm a man of the cloth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Now, Jason, for our audience um, who who may not know you just by name, they absolutely know you by the bands you've performed with, by the music that you've produced, written, and played. Give us a little rundown of the old Jason Freeze resume. Uh, okay, well, I am uh, I play sax and piano, and I've been lucky enough to, uh, so far, so good, have a pretty good run at it. I've played with I started off my it's funny I was just telling my kids we were listening to uh, a radio station that's only playing Christmas music right now saying that it's Christmas time right now whoever's listening this is recorded a couple days after Christmas (laughs) and uh, we were listening to there's a Wilson Phillips song that came on as a Christmas song and I go I was telling my kids I go this was the first band that I played with that was like a big band It's the first time I ever went to New York I was like 19 and I, I was playing keyboards with Wilson Phillips on the Rosie O'Donnell show. Oh my God. When I was like 19 years old. That's when Rosie O'Donnell actually had a show and people wanted to hear her. That was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. That was definitely a different era. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I, gosh, I think that was my first gig. And then I was, when I was going to college, I got a call to, from a friend of mine that I was playing guitar and singing in a punk band. And the bass player was a tech for the Eagles, no. and he said, "Hey, Joe Walsh, uh, the guitar player of the Eagles, is is gonna fire his entire band that he's had for like 25 years, and he had like a horn section and you know it, three guitar players and a percussion guy and and four backup singers, and it was just like this massive band. Sure, and he wanted to fire everyone and have a four piece young rock band, mm-hmm. and he goes, do you want to audition? And so I was like." Yeah, and I was going to Cal State Fullerton at the time, and I uh, I auditioned the next Thursday, and I got the gig, and it it was awesome because it was like I was able to. It was kind of weird me dropping out of college. That was weird. My parents were one parent was okay with it, and the other one was not. What yeah. were you studying at college at the time? I was I was studying music education, which in retrospect I would have never really have loved. Uh, I don't think I don't think that would have been a good path for me. But mm-hmm. it was like one of those things where I was like, you have to get my parents are going, you got to go to college. And I was yeah. like, well, what am I going to do? <laughs> you know, what I mean, I was like, OK, I guess you can make a decent living as a high school band director. Wow. Like, <laughs> you know, I shooting wow. for the stars. Yeah. You know, hey, that is actually a good gig for some people. So I don't wanna, I don't want to, you know, talk bad on high school band directors. Actually, if, if it wasn't for my high school band director, you know, I probably wouldn't be where I am right now. Right. He was very influential in my life. So, but you got to drop out. You got I to drop out, out of college. I dropped out and I went on tour with Joe Walsh and I played with him for uh, almost four years. And then he went out with the Eagles and then I got a call to audition for the Goo Goo Dolls. And then so I auditioned and I got it. And then I mm-hmm. played with the Goo Goo Dolls for almost four years. And then when I was playing with the Goo Goo Dolls, I got a call to audition for Green Day. And then I, uh, or to meet the guys, and they kind of already knew who I was through common friends, and uh, we had the same management. Uh, and so uh, I met them, and we played together, and and that was 16 years ago. I'm still doing that still today. Wow. Yeah, and then, you know, I've been able, I've been fortunate enough to, to play on a lot of other bands' albums, and, uh, you know, and, and I toured with Jewel for a while, which was which was really fun, and, you know, it's like all these, all these uh, experiences have, they have, you know, I think like anything in life, like even if you're, you're getting a job somewhere, it's like there's 
great parts about it and then there's bad parts and you can kind of learn from all of them and yeah. figure out how to do it and i think that's even if you are an accountant you know right. what i mean it's like whatever your new job is it's like it's going to be different than the old job right. and you're going to be able to so yeah just you know i i when i'm home i've been lucky enough i have a studio so i've been lucky enough now with technology you can do your own album i mean i'm sorry you can do all your own tracks at your own studio mm-hmm. and you can through email and the internet, e- you know, email tracks. I mean, I've, I've played on some really big albums at, at my own studio that would, it, you know, people would be like, whoa, you, you're on that album and you did it by yourself in your own studio. You didn't even go to a big recording studio in Hollywood, which yeah. is what most people think, sure. you know. Yeah. But now because of technology, it's like you don't you don't need you don't need that stuff anymore. I mean, oh. l- look at us right now. Yeah. Right. Well, what do you mean? The studio is <laughs> awesome. Yeah. <laughs> For those of you it who is. don't know, we're sitting in a family room, also known as a media room. It's I like now the co- it's the pod room. But now it's the pod room. Right. So. The pod room. Right. And we but we do have a table from Costco. <laughs> yeah. So that's something. Yeah. Nothing but that's the best. Yeah. Nothing, nothing but the best for you. Todd didn't build this. No, he didn't. Oh, okay. oh, man. <laughs> there is that image though of you having to like schlep up to the Capitol Records building and do all the. Is, do you miss some parts of that of interacting with a producer uh, with other musicians? Yeah, and and well, and at the end of the day, that still that stuff still exists. Like I still will do that stuff. I just played on a band called Avenged Sevenfold, who's they're actually from Huntington Beach. But Love Avenged Sevenfold. They're they're a they're big great. band. I mean, mm-hmm. like they've been on tour with Metallica, and I played on their last album, and then I just just did their new album. It's like that was went to a big studio. It's like, you know, there's still there's still you know Green Day still does big studio stuff. You know, a lot of the big bands will still you know if they're on a budget, they'll still do big you know okay. studio stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but not not everyone, and and it was funny even on the Avenged Sevenfold thing. I did the bulk of it in a big studio, but then the next day the singer called me and he's like, "Dude, we have this song and we we have to redo this part. Can you just do it at your place and send it to us right now?" Oh, I was man. like, "Sure." So I did it at my place and sent it to him, and no one's gonna know what I did there or what I did at my place. You right, know, right, right. That's amazing. And when you're out touring, like going all the way back when you went out on the road with Joe Walsh, then are you part of his? next album or are you just a Somet- guy that tours? sometimes mm-hmm. uh yeah i mean it's funny like s- some bands uh you know I, like i've played on three of green day's albums uh joe hasn't really joe's done one album in the last 20 years and when he did it i was on tour with green day so i didn't you know i didn't play on it but sometimes guys will ha- have their touring people play on their albums and then sometimes not it depends on the band and it depends on the player yes really you know what I mean? Right. And you play you play saxophone, mm-hmm. keyboards. Yeah, those are like my two, you know, I, I, I'd say I make 70% of my living on piano. Oh, wow. And then 30 on sax, just because there's just not a lot of call for sax. Well, I was going to say, take us inside. Which of those bands that you have played with have you yeah. played sax? So uh, I've, I've played on, on Dr. Dre's last album. I played sax. On Michael Buble's Christmas album, on a couple songs I played sax on. Um, You're on Buble's Christmas album? Yeah. Oh my gosh. My niece, Madison, <laughs> is obsessed with that. It's the best Christmas album. It I is know really good. Mariah Carey a, fans are not yeah, going to yeah, like yeah, that, yeah, but yeah. it's the best. Right. It's the yeah. best Christmas album. It is a great Christmas album. And he's a great guy. My brother's done. My brother plays drums and has played on pretty much every Michael Buble hit you've ever heard on the radio. No. He's, yeah, my brother's played drums on all of it. So. But the funny thing was, I got called into that. It was at Capitol Records, whatever, two and a half, three years ago. Um, from a different producer, mm. and it wasn't had nothing. To, and the song that I was playing on was a different producer than the one songs that my brother was playing on. Oh, it was two different producers. Produce David Foster was doing like five of them, and then uh, this guy Bob Rock, this Canadian guy, was doing half of them. And then the Bob Rock songs, uh, he was hiring this uh, a really amazing producer that I love that I've actually worked a lot with, who's really really intelligent awesome in really talented guy named John Bryan and he uh, he was doing the horn arrangements on like two or three other songs and then so he called me to play on those songs but I don't even think my brother wasn't even on the songs that I played on it was just we just ended up in the same session which was awesome and is rare yes you know that we that we collide now are you saying that Bob Rock produced Buble Bob Rock is Metallica. Yeah, but really. Yeah, but he Bob Rock's a talented dude. But he he did he did like half of them. Wow! So yeah. he's got that he's got a touch mm-hmm. that spans all genres. Yeah, 
crazy. Crazy. Okay, so you're talking about your brother. Yeah. Shout out to your brother, Josh. Yeah. Okay. Josh, yeah. You two are like the musical phenoms. Growing up, how did you get involved with music? Was it just always there? Yeah. My dad was the director of the Disneyland band, the conductor. So when we grew up, like we grew up at Disneyland in the Disneyland band room with all those musicians. And when we were little kids, the Disneyland band was like a really old band when we were kids. They were like in their 70s. No. Right? I mean, to, to a bait, well, well to, to, a, to a five-year-old. That's like almost dead. <laughs> yes, you know what I mean? Yes. They might have only been 30, actually. <laughs> they might have been 30. They might have been 30. They might have been 30 and you thought they were seven. Right. But uh, so these are all guys that were in their 70s. I think they're all gone now. I mean, obviously. Um, and But they were guys that were on tour in the 40s and 50s with mm -hmm. Duke Ellington and Count oh. Basie and Glenn Miller. And now they're in their 70s and they're obviously those bands are long gone and they're older and they don't want to tour because right. they're in their seventies. And it's like, what you can get health benefits and have a gig five days a week playing music. Like yeah. where are you going to find that? At right. the happiest place on earth. Correct. So we grew up with all these burning musicians and it was like, we kind of just grew up thinking that everyone played like that. Oh, you did not know. No. <laughs> Until you moved next door to us. Until, Until we moved next door to you. I heard Denise singing <laughs> Kumbaya. Was that life changing? Uh, yeah, she was teaching swimming. And, no, uh, no I, but it was really funny. It's like, I really didn't, we, we thought that's just the way it was. You didn't yeah. think, and we thought everyone's parents, my mom is a, a, a classical piano player. So it was like, you know, we, we thought everyone, my grandparents were all musicians. My dad's parents were professional musicians. My mom's parents both played piano really well. Wow. And it was just like, we just thought everyone's family did that. Sure. You know what I mean? It's like if you grow up and your parents are in the military, you usually go in the military and you think that, that you're in a military family and you kind of go, yeah. Right. I know a lot about the military and, and I'm going to go in the military and my kids will probably. And it's it's kind of the same thing, you know. Was there a concentrated effort, though, on the part of your parents to make sure that you and your brother picked up the one instrument that you were really going to shine on? No, they didn't really. All they did was support us. Okay. They never steered us ever because they knew that like we were going to gravitate towards something at some point. Like I think my brother and I went through maybe, you know, five or six instruments before we locked, he locked onto the drums. And I think we both played like trumpet for a second. And, you know, it, we had so many musical instruments sitting around our house 24 seven yeah. that it was like, you could just grab something and play it and go, I like this a lot or I don't like this. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about the instruments yeah. at your home. Yeah. So I met Jason when my husband and I bought our first home. How old were you guys? Uh, we were 23 or 24, oh 24. And Jason, I remember the first time I saw Jason, he was like 15 years old. He had a mullet. Nice. Or something to that effect. Love something it. kind of shaggy. I, I it's think, almost looking well, like my new hair. But I played ice hockey back then. Oh. So it was like, I, you, that's hockey hair. A mullet required. Right? A mullet, mullet, mullet was required. required. Yeah. Mullet was required. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we moved in and the... The thing that was that stuck out and still will stick out to anybody who's in the area of that city is the tuba tree. Every, yeah. So many people know that tuba so tree. So there is a, a tree that's, you know, pretty famous. Yeah. In my that, dad's front yard. In your dad's front yard. And that was our next door neighbors. And we lived there for about nine years. But the very first time I ever saw Jason, he was about 15 years old, I think. And I saw the tuba tree, and then we heard about your brother, who was on tour at the time. He was, he wasn't even in high school anymore because he yeah, went on he tour dropped out. with Dweezil Zappa, maybe. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I just remember, and I thought, wow, that's how interesting is that, right? Yeah. But the tuba tree set the stage for us to realize what was going on, and then from there on, mullets and tuba trees. <laughs> it was it's a match magical. made in heaven. <laughs> I mean, come on. Yeah, it's not going to get any that's better. Like a, that's like a Will Ferrell movie. I mean, Jason, so their family, his his dad and, and Jason lived together. Josh was in and out. We yeah. saw him so every so often. But Jason and his dad ate dinner with us on a regular basis. Pretty much, I'd make dinner. And I, you know, had our first child there. Actually, all three of my kids were born in that home. Yeah. But Jason was the first person to hold my oldest son, Mitchell. Yeah. Except for family members when we got home he came right over from old. the hospital he was yeah. a day old and jason held i remember him. denise going into labor and then hod calling me going you gotta 
feed Turbo their dog. Turbo. <laughs> like, you got to feed Turbo. <laughs> like, we're having the baby today. <laughs> I was like, all right, I'm going to feed Turbo. Yeah, cool. she fed, he fed Turbo. And now, you know, Mitchell has kids and Jason has kids. And it's just such a surreal, all coming full circle type of thing that it's just kind of amazing. Yeah. It's yeah, just amazing. It, it really is. I mean, well, we lost contact for a long time. For, not, not for any reason. Mm-mm. But it was just like life took over. They moved. They moved away. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and then and then you know it's like I was so busy and I you know I had my life going on, and then I think it was my wife, Amy was pregnant with our first boy, and we were going to Saint to Saint Jude Saint Joseph, mm-hmm. uh, for some checkup, and Denise was sitting on a bench. In the hospital, as she does. <laughs> I just hanging out. At the just hospital. hanging out. She likes okay. to hang out at the hospital. I don't know you know, Great you know. cafeteria food. Yeah, great food. Great food. Yeah. Uh, but we were walking through the lobby, and Denise was sitting in the lobby on this bench, and I go, "Oh my gosh, Denise!" And she had never met my wife. You mm. know what I mean? No, like because we had just lost. We just kind of drifted away through life. Took over. Yes. You know. Yeah. Right. And and then I remember, you know, it was so amazing to see her. And then, like, we we exchanged phone numbers. And I remember walking away, my wife going, wait, who was that? <laughs> I go, that was my old neighbor. She's like, those are your neighbors? I go, yeah, but I go, we were really close. You know what I mean? Like, she could tell, like, like that we were, we're like family. We were, we were mm-hmm. so close that I we sold our house. And it was kind of weird. We sold our house. And I remember laying in bed one night after it was kind of soaking in that we were moving. And we had bought this house that we're in right now. And I told Hod, we can't move. And he said, what are you talking about? I can't leave Jason and Stan. Like, oh. I cannot be away from Jason and Stan. Yeah. What is that going to look like? I literally was crying about it because I thought, I eat dinner with them like three nights a week. How can we yeah. not live next door to them? Yeah. It, it was it, weird. It was, an, it was an awesome, it was, it, we, it was a really neat situation. I mean, and then when Mitchell, her oldest, for everyone listening, mm-hmm. uh, who is now married with, with, uh, with two kids, when he was probably three or four, well, he was still in diapers. So how old are you in diapers? But you can run around. Mm-hmm. He knew the sound of my Mustang. And every day when I would drive home from college, he would hear my car coming around the corner and he would be in his diapers running across the lawn and he would be pulling on my handle to open up my door. <laughs> you know what I mean? Every day. Yeah. Every day I pull around the corner and there Mitchell be in his diapers running across the grass, <laughs> grab the handle, opening up my door. It was like it was the best. And I remember one Christmas I was or yeah, it was it was Christmas time and it probably wasn't Christmas Day, but it was Christmas time and all of a sudden I was I remember sleeping in my bed and all of a sudden Mitchell was probably I don't know, maybe five or six. And it had uh, to have been younger because we moved here when he was like five. Okay. So three or four. Yeah. And all of a sudden he's in my bedroom. I'm asleep and he's in my bedroom and he's shaking me, waking me up. And he had a VHS and I still have it somewhere. <laughs> he gave me, he wanted to give me for Christmas uh, his own VHS cassette copy of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movie. <laughs> Oh, and I that was a prize possession. And as a prize possession, and I was like, it was like a little boy giving yeah. his favorite movie. You know what I mean? Like I was like, I just remember going, oh, I love this kid so much. <laughs> this is your first connection yeah. with a real fan. Yeah, right. Yeah, it was the best. Like yeah. he woke me up. I was in bed. He woke me up and he handed me this VHS cassette. And I, I just love going, it. What's this? And I look at it. it says Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> I love it. I just like ah, oh, dude, it's the best. It, it was the best experience for me as a adult. Because you know, I have my own home, and now yeah. I've got this neighborhood that I loved, and I had next door neighbors that were like family, and the experiences that we got through Jason and his dad. I mean, we will definitely be talking to Stan at some later time because Stan is well, you can't really say enough he's about Stan. He's quite a character. He's quite a character. He he's, is. He's, to he's say the bigger least. than life, and he's one of the most amazing, genuine, fun you know, just out there people that just make life interesting. Like yeah. you want to live next door. If you're going to live next door to anybody living next door to the tuba tree. Yeah. You yeah. Can't, you can't beat that. And he, you can't make up the stories that we can tell. Like we have yeah. story after story him, after him, story. Him washing his car every day. Every day. In, in his underwear. In his underwear. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So I had my, my window if my, and, and my kids were up early and I would hear something. And every morning Stan was out there 
He'd wash his Washing car every his morning. Car every morning, and he had a Jaguar. He's a car guy, and oh, he had yeah. a nice Jaguar. Mm-hmm. At the time, he'd get different color ones every year or yeah. every other year or whatever. And yeah. that guy would just wash away his car. And yeah, did your dad still really entrenched in the music business? What's yes. he doing? He books the entertainment for Knotts, and he does a lot of stuff still for Disney and Downtown Disney. He as an outside contractor. Okay, so he's so does, he, he's he, a booking agent. He's a booking agent for Disney. So he he spent his first. 20 years I, I'm gonna get the numbers kind of wrong but uh, he was with Disney for 43 years I think I think I might be wrong uh, it's right there it's mm-hmm. 43 44 45 mm-hmm. um, as the band director the first 20 so years he was the band he was the conductor of the Zen band right. the last 22 23 24 years he was the head of talent casting oh so he was scouting mm-hmm. for, for not only m- Anaheim musicians. but yeah, and he would got he got Tokyo Disney going. He got Disney over the seas in China going. He he would he and they would send him out there for like a month, and he would he you know for I think Tokyo Disney he was in charge of the entire thing where he was like how many bands were, will there be, what will they wear, how <laughs> what will the instrumentation be, yeah. what songs are they going to play, and now go rehearse them. Wow, hire them and then rehearse them. Back when I was a kid at Disney, they would now they hire bands. When I was a kid, they put bands together. Oh, they were culling from different areas. So they, the musicians' union in Santa Ana, which is still there, uh, they uh, the Orange County Musicians' Union, they would have Disney would have auditions. My dad would be auditioning people there every other week, and mm-hmm. my brother and I would by default would just have to go. So it was like we got Josh, my brother and I got good at auditioning just because we knew what to do in an audition because we had been through seven thousand of them <laughs> oh my goodness i never even thought about that because uh, then yeah. now you're going to go audition for yeah joe walsh yeah the goo goo dolls yeah, and yeah. you know exactly what to do yes that's got to be a problem for people who walk in they're like i don't know here's yeah, my they guitar freeze up and they're like what do i do it's yeah. like yeah we thank god by default we knew what to do now your dad you said your parents just supported you and your brother didn't force you mm-hmm. is there and i'm gonna put you on spot here yeah is there one piece of advice that you remember your dad giving you that kind of changed your your course or changed your mind a little bit well i think that i don't know if it'd be one piece but it was the overall overwhelming support that he always gave us like he was like but but here's the thing like he had to know that we were in it to win it before he was gonna send us up to la to take from the best guys and buy us the best instruments and stuff it's like but he i think from an early age he knew that we were we we're good at what we were doing and mm-hmm. and we did practice our butts up you know this is in the 80 the early 80s so you're talking there's no there's no social media bs there's no there's like you either go out on your bmx bike or your skateboard <laughs> yep. or you practice right there's no cell phones there's no internet there's no laptops there's no nothing there's there's 13 channels of television you know what i mean there's yeah. not 700 channels of television you yeah. know what i mean right. it's like it was like you you back then you worked all day long. You either riding your bike, riding your skateboard, or you're reading a book. Sure. You know what I mean? Yes. What's that? Yeah, exactly. I don't even like books. So I remember one time we talked to your dad about your talent and he was saying that jo- uh, that Jason was so talented that it could go either way for him because sometimes when people are as talented as Jason is, but he's got it, like he's got what it takes to just be able to do what he does. I mean, he has to work hard at it, but he said that people like Jason sometimes don't know how to work hard at it. And sometimes those, even the best people don't end up, you know, developing themselves because they don't have to work. And I can honestly say it's been a double edged sword my entire life because I, especially when I was younger, I got so fast, so good because when I was younger, I really did practice a lot. Like when I was in when I was in junior high, I st- I didn't start even playing sax. I played piano from when I was young because my mom made us. Uh, but sax was an instrument that I chose. Mm-hmm. Like I was like, I want to do that. That is where I connected. I saw a kid play that was my age in seventh grade, and he was really good. He, I mean, he was really good. And I went, I want to do that. And I told my dad right then and there, I go, I want to get a saxophone. I want to learn how to do that. And my, and my dad could tell I was serious. So he's like, okay. So he got me a sax at the at the Pomona car swap meet. Yes. <laughs> yes. I remember. And I still have it. Oh you have God. your original sax? Yeah. 
It's, it, it, we bought it for a hundred bucks, and it happens to be the exact model that Charlie Parker used to play. <gasps> it's called a con naked lady, and and they they're 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 worth some money now. And uh, but I still have it, and it's in great condition too. Did you take lessons? Did your dad? Oh yeah. Give you? Oh yeah. The right. Yep. I took lessons and I practiced three, four hours a day. And were you until my mouth would bleed? Oh, seriously! Oh, I played yeah. the clarinet for half a semester, and I was like, yeah. "Nope." <laughs> you played the clarinet? I know that's yeah. a whole other podcast. That's another podcast. And well, I played. Maybe you have a jam session. I played the flute. There you go. <gasps> We're, I'm seeing some duets in the future here. <laughs> Absolutely. The only song I know was the theme from Mash. Yeah. You could play the theme from Mash. Suicide is painless. Do you still oh have? God, do you still amazing. have your, your my clarinet? No, yeah. it was a rental. <laughs> Which there's nothing grosser, am I right? Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. you have a, your own read. It's yeah. not like yeah, but you, still. It's going to be interesting now with COVID, like what happens with instrument rentals with stuff like trumpets, trombones, clarinets, flutes, saxes. What you blow through, like what's that going to be like? Yes. Yeah. That's people are just going to have to buy instruments now. That's true. <laughs> you know true. What I mean? So true. Yeah. You got to purchase that now. Yeah. No renting. Yeah. Um. Did you play in high, like high school and junior high bands? Oh yeah. So I did that, and that's when I was. Back to the whole practicing and stuff coming easy. Like, it was definitely a double-edged sword for me because it was like, I practiced so much and I got better in one. So I didn't start practicing, or I'm sorry, I didn't start learning the sax till eighth grade, the summer before eighth grade. And I practiced almost, I would say between two and four hours a day. And by one year later, I'm a freshman in high school Mm -hmm. and I beat out all the seniors for the first chair in jazz band with playing for one year. But guess why? I promise you those guys weren't practicing four hours a day. No way. No. I was. Yeah. And it, and it was coming really easy to me. Mm-hmm. But I was also practicing my ass off. Like I was practicing so much. Mm-hmm. And then I got so good. And then that I was like around here, like I was the guy, right? And all the high schools around here, like everyone knew who I was from the jazz festivals and stuff. And, and then uh, there's the Allstate California jazz big band and it it's once a year it's for like three weeks happens every year still happens and uh everyone's like you gotta audition for that and I was like eh that's stupid I was like in the back of my mind I was insecure that I was gonna audition and not make it and then I was now you're in California not just your little now I'm not not in Orange County you know it's not the, the five high schools around here it was like it was like no this is the all state and we had a really good music program at our school at the time. It was phenomenal. And I got really lucky. Um, but I was like, no, I'm not going to do it. My sophomore year comes around. I was like, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> My junior year comes around, and I'm already playing out in the big band at Disneyland oh. and with guys that are twice my age. And... Uh, the my high school band director was a professional drummer and he was playing with me one night at Disney in Carnation Plaza and he pulled me aside and he's like here's the deal man he's like you have to do it you have to audition this year and he goes and I'm gonna tell you why he goes not only will it do a lot for you and you're gonna meet the best kids your age in the state of California which is gonna be one of the most competitive states in America for music I mean because just the mu- there's so much music in California and LA and Hollywood and whatever but he goes it's gonna do a lot for our program because people are gonna go who is that kid where does he go to school he goes that helps me mm-hmm. and I was like I'm just so not even corner so you're gonna do it so for I him. go so I go okay I'll audition this year I'll do it and I auditioned and I got I got lead oh. and I just remember like that was such a confidence booster. And then I was still practicing, still practicing. And then I got to the point where I was like, I went, well, I'm the best in all of California for high school kids because I'm playing lead in the high school all-star, all-state band. And, I, you know, like a dumb 16-year-old kid, which went totally to my head. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of quit practicing and got really complacent. And I went... And you could still really do a good job, though, compared to everybody else. Oh, yeah, for sure. But now realize in three years, I'm not in high school anymore, and now I'm in the real world, and there's no such thing as a child prodigy anymore. Wow. Now you're just another dude. Right. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? There's, yeah. there's like, no all-state band for you no to go in. There's no all-state band. There's no trophy. No, there's no trophy. <laughs> and now I'm going to be going against the real dudes in L.A., the yeah. guys that are the baddest dudes on the planet. Right. And so for me... That came quick, mm-hmm. and it was a it was a shocker to me because I went, oh yeah, like I was great for that, but 
But now I'm going against these this 45, 50 year olds that are the dudes that are playing on Natalie Cole's albums yeah. and everyone else. And I got to go against those guys now. And it was, you know, it, it was it was it was an interesting I had a couple interesting moments where I, you know, I got put in my place going because I got I just quit practicing. I quit. You know, I was like, I don't need to practice anymore. Like in I'm, high I, school that that time, I'm going to say probably a little af- right after high school. OK. You know, right after high school, right. I just kind of quit. I, and I went, I got this. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like there's, right. there's no one around here that I know that scares me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I know some older guys that are better than me, but at what they do and at what I do, I think I could take them <laughs> at what I do. But, and I got really. That's such a guy thing, right? Like, yeah, oh, totally. I, like I'm, I, yeah. I can totally take him. Yeah. I got yeah. This. So at what point did you decide that music was going to be your career? I mean, you ha- you're you're in college. You're. I think I decided that the day I wanted to play saxophone. You you thought but, yeah. back then. Yeah, because my everyone in my family did it for a career, so it was like right. I'm I'm next in line. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, of course I'm gonna do this for a career. But I and I, but I always remember having this like in the back of my head, this like goal going. If I can make it as a professional musician and afford a car and a house, if I can make it to forty years old by doing that, then I made it. Okay. That was like my milestone. Like I got to make it not be able to be a professional musician for four or five years and say I did it for four or five years. Like who can say that? Not mm-hmm. many people can say that. But I was like, I got to make it to 40. If I can make it to 40, then that means I made it. And I got to 40 and then I was like, I'm still doing this. Yeah, I'm still doing this. But like <laughs> I still got a long way to go on a lot of stuff that I still want to do. And, and I don't feel like really like I made it. And now I'll be 46 in two weeks. And I'm like, I'm still feeling like I'm chasing my tail half the time, you know, because now with with technology and the Internet and, and you know, the, you, you got to be a producer. You got to be a mixer. You got to be an engineer. You got to you got to do everything. Yeah. You let's, know what I mean, let's talk a little bit about what it is like, because I think when people think of somebody as yeah. a musician. Yeah. When they think of that, they think, oh, and you're playing for these big bands. Yeah. You know, you're on tour with yeah. Green Day. And they think you're, yeah, yeah, So you're yeah. a multimillionaire, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, multimillionaire. I mean, yeah. I think the perception for most people are that you're in this big band mm-hmm. and you got it made. Yeah. And the way that life is now for everybody, I mean, yeah. and I didn't realize this until you and I talked about this years ago that it's no longer, you're not, bands are not making money the way they used no, to. They're no. not selling albums uh-uh. because that went out the yeah, window with, the, you know. Once, yeah, once the internet showed up. Right. All so, that, you know, you, the only way bands can really make money these days is touring. Right. Oh, that's and, where and the money comes from. That's from where all there. the money comes from. And not only that, but the, but the other crazy thing about it is that a lot of bands don't translate. There's two ways to make money now. It's either licensing, I would say three ways. Mm-hmm. Either licensing your songs to movies and TV shows, you can make money, a lot of money doing that. Uh, touring and merchandise. Merch. And not a lot of bands are merch bands. Like when I was in the Goo Goo Dolls, they weren't a merch band. They didn't, they don't, you don't see kids rock, running around with Goo Goo Doll shirts on. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Every once in a while you will, but you know, not like Metallica and Sublime and you know what I mean? Green Day and you know, the Foo Fighters. It's like, it's like certain bands translate to merch. And certain bands do not. And you're you're either one of those bands or you're not, you know, and it's like, you know, and and also I think one one big, you know, common misnomer, I think, is that people think, you know, because you played with all these people and you've been on Saturday Night Live a billion times and, you know, all these TV shows and Howard Stern. And it's like, you know, they think you, you're some rich dude. And it's like for music the the real money is in songwriting Mm. you know what i mean and if you're lucky enough to be in a band a member of a band where either the whole band writes really well or one guy writes smash hits that's where the money is period Mm -hmm. you know like how many i mean i can i could just go on instagram right now and show you ten thousand musicians that are this make my head explode they're so unbelievable and they're just living in apartments living on top ramen that's the thing to get it to that next level I, I, there's so much involved it's, it's not just oh i'm going on american idol and no. i'm getting discovered that's no. that's a new thing anyway yeah and and it, those shows are funny because those shows the american idol and the voice and stuff they own you for like the next 10 years yeah. like you ain't gonna see a dollar 
Oh. You know, because their way and and I get it, I get it. The way that they say, they go, well, if it wasn't for us, you'd still be working at Starbucks. That's right. And you go, that, they're right. <laughs> they're not wrong. It's true. You know what I mean? Let me ask you a question though. Going back to merch, and I'm yeah. not, I, I'm, I'm don't mean to get specific yeah. in any way, but if you're touring with a band and they're a big merch band, yeah, do you get any cut of that no, as a tour member? No, no, touring members don't. It's you know, it's the core like members who own the brand. Okay, right, the mm-hmm. owners of the brand. So are you a contract player? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know how much you're going to make going into the tour. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It doesn't matter how many arenas they yeah. sell yeah. out. Yeah, it's like that with for every band. It's like okay. you you sign up at, at a weekly salary, and and that's that's you know for every band, any any touring musician, that's how it is. Okay. Yeah. There's 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 no there's no cut and stuff. But you know what? I mean, I mean, I've been really 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 incredibly fortunate because there's been, I mean, for every guy that I know that's an, a burning musician that that does freelance work and joins tours and stuff you know it's it can you can be really really profitable and then it can be really just like you know there's, there's the highs and there's the lows and it's like I've been really lucky to be able to just you know have a really comfortable life and I feel like I need to knock on wood every five seconds you know because mm-hmm. for people that are contract employees you know it, it you got to if you don't get in it's you know and I but I feel like it's like this for anyone like if you're working for Microsoft you know it's like Microsoft might not be as cool as working for Google Google might be the dream gig you know what I mean you know or that you know who knows you know maybe so you're working for Tesla as a, a lawyer or something there every company is going to be different how they treat you how you're handled what the money is and I, I feel like it's the same with bands too you know mm-hmm. you know you know I've I've turned down bands I've turned down many offers from really big bands for crazy money but I knew that there would be no longevity in it Okay. I'd be like, I'm going to do this tour and make a grip of money. Yeah. And then afterwards. Come home and have nothing. I come home and be like, well, What's that next? was fun, but now what? Okay. So it's like, you really, you know, I, I've been fortunate to, to, you know, and I think I've been smart. Yeah. You know, going, I like these people. I, I, you know, it's a family. I love, w- you know, what I'm in. I know if, you know, it, it, any, any, any tour is a family. Whether you like the people or you don't like the family, it'll be a functional family or a dysfunctional family, Oof. but it's a family because you're with them seven days a week. You wake up, you, you know, you have breakfast, lunch and dinner with everyone. There's no see you guys at five o'clock. I'm going to go see my wife and my kids. Right. There's no, you know, it's the weekend. I'm going to go to the river and it's like, no, you're together 24 hours a day, seven days a week for sometimes years. You know, yeah. you, you go out for, you go out for like five weeks, come home for three weeks, go out for eight weeks, come home for three weeks you know what I mean like I do come home but let's talk a little bit about what the touring is like because again I think people think oh he's on tour that is so glamorous you started touring yeah. at 19 years old you said with Joe Walsh yeah yeah well no 19 was uh Wilson Phillips oh it was uh, Wilson yeah, Phillips yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, Wilson Phillips. But yeah, I started playing don't with Joe. forget about Wilson yeah, Phillips yeah 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 gosh come on um no I I you know, I think I was like 23 when I started playing with Joe, what kind? Of, how much of a grind is touring? And well, uh, when you're 23, yeah, it's a every every day is a party, yeah, right? You literally, have, literally, you have no responsibilities, you have no mortgage, you have no kids, you have no you know wife, you know. It's like every day is a party. It was awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's like I wouldn't trade my life right now for anything. But it's like you know, now it's like you're, there's massive stresses and. It, real life responsibilities. responsibilities I had no responsibilities at 23 right. sure it was just party 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 every day and it was awesome yeah I, but I, I think I'm really fortunate to have those experiences but then I'm really fortunate to be where I am now I got sober almost seven years ago coming up in a month and that was massive mm-hmm. on so many levels because it was like you know what we do for a living it's like if you're not partying afterwards, it's weird. You know what I mean? Where most jobs, if you party at work, you're getting fired. Right. You know what I mean? It's you get paid of, to party. Yeah, it's you get part paid of the party. lifestyle. Yeah, it's part of the lifestyle for all for all musicians. I don't care what band you're in. Well, and you know it, what I mean? how much is that a factor in their decision to hire you and your decision to be hired by them? 
Is there? Does that come uh, into play at all? Or is I there, mean, unless I'm about to join a band that are notorious for being junkies and stuff, yeah, it really a, doesn't play in it at all because okay. all bands party no matter what. Right. You know, maybe some guys in the band hit harder than others right. or whatever, but it's like every band in the world is like that no matter what. So I mean, it's just the way it's it's just the way it's rock and roll. Of course, you know it what I mean. Is, yeah, it's like that's what they do. Seven years ago, where were you at? I was in Australia. And what did you? What made you decide? Well, that? I had had a slew of really bad things that had happened, and I knew they were all connected to me, my drinking, mm. and uh, and I just kind of went. My dad it was a, a pretty, pretty. Re- he's a really good alcoholic. He hit it hard, <laughs> and then he got sober when I was, which is how I met Denise, because he had to find his own house now. <laughs> yeah. He got sober and divorced. <laughs> he got sober and divorced when I was 11 turning 12. Oh, so he's been sober a long time. He's been sober a long time. And his his washing the car, let's bring it back to that, that was part of his obsessive compulsive, but also the 12 step program to accomplish something yes. every single day. Yes. And he said, I wash my car every single day because at least at the end of the day, I can say, I washed my car. I accomplished something. Yeah. I accomplished something. And that was actually a life lesson for me. Yeah. Because as a new mom, I was like, okay, what am I going to accomplish other than knee deep into diapers yeah. and yeah. screaming kids, right? Like I had, it was kind of a eye-opening yeah. experience for me to live next yeah. door to somebody like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for me, it was, uh, I, I, you know, when I was going through it, it was incredibly hard, especially because I was 11 going to, I was going from elementary school to junior high, which is a hard time to begin with. You're Mm -hmm. meeting all these new kids from new schools and you're just a kid and you don't know, you know, up from down. And, uh, and so it was really hard when it happened, but I look back in retrospect and I go, thank God I had him as an example because I've watched so many people, you know, suffer from alcoholism and it ruined their lives that to watch someone who it was ruining their lives, but they got help and they turned their life around and then watching how great their life got being able to actually live through that Mm -hmm. not so much watch it but live through it you know you could come out at the other end and be successful i knew what the outcome would probably be if i got sober right you know it's always a crapshoot and you don't know how anything's going to be in life but i knew i had watched it happen before yeah so for me it was like i knew that i had a drinking problem and I used to say to my friends, I used to joke all the time with my friends and go, I know I'll get sober someday, but it's just not right now. But I'll know when the time is. But I used to I used to say that all the time. So tell him a little bit about Jason is all tatted up. He's got a lot of tattoos. But yeah. there's one in particular I want you to talk about on your arm that which, you. Which one? The room number. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, here, I'll show you. I'm sorry, the people uh, listening can't. We'll take a picture of it and yeah, put yeah, it yeah, up on our, we'll put so it up on our it. face. Uh, on it it our says page. room number and lobby because every night I'd be so drunk. I would, <laughs> I didn't know what my hotel room was and what time I had to be in the lobby the next day. So I would write it down with a Sharpie on my arm and then no. I, I'd fill it in. Right. There's a blank line next to room number and a, and just a, a line next to lobby. So you'd fill that in with your Sharpie. I'd fill that in with my Sharpie because you get into the hotels at like whatever two in the morning in the bus, right? You, you finish your job and, you, and then the, every hotel looks the same and it's just, it's Groundhog Day. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. And then so, and then I would just be, I wouldn't know where I was or anything and they, they would hand me my card and so then what I do is every day you wake up and you stumble out of bed and you go find the nearest Subway sandwiches or whatever <laughs> and then I come back and I go, what's my room number and what time is lobby today? And so, I would, fill it in I don't, I, I don't need it anymore really. no, but, now, but now I'm getting older and I think I've, <laughs> I think I've drank so much Diet Coke that I'm starting to lose my memory yes you know it does like, happen yeah. Diet, no Diet Coke doesn't do that it's got extra vitamins in it it makes you smarter as she's throwing back a Diet Coke <laughs> right now yeah. yeah my initials are DC for a reason yeah. Yeah. that's right that's, that's right. right well I, I remember you telling me that story and yeah. we did separate for a long time like life happened and I think that his lifestyle and my lifestyle because I was raising kids and he was just getting married and he was traveling with different different bands and things. And I remember us inviting you to come to our river house. Oh, yeah. And yeah. he would always say, no, 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 no. And then yeah. after he got sober, he told us the reason why. Right. Why? Well, they, didn't, they don't drink. Right. And I knew I had to drink all that. I remember <laughs> running into Denise's sister, Jill, at uh, the local bar. She uh, drinks. Yeah, and we were at the. It was called Kelly's Corner, 
and it was right down the street from my dad's house and Jill happened to be there and I ran into her and I was like hey and I hadn't seen Jill in a long time and we're talking we're talking and and uh I go do you ever go out to uh Han Denise's river place and she goes yeah she goes you know every once in a while and stuff and I go I, I remember telling her going I really want to go but man I'm just gonna feel so uncomfortable because I have to drink a lot and I feel uncomfortable drinking uh, because, like, I drink a lot. When I say I drink a lot, I didn't wake up at f- 7 in the morning and start pounding tequila. Yeah. It was like, I wouldn't even drink till 4. And then, and it was, I only drank crappy beer. Like, oh. I drink, like, Miller White. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. That's what my grandfather well, used to drink. Well, like, on tour, on tour, I would drink, like, vodka and soda and limes and stuff. That was pretty much what I did all day on tour. But... I never like I never was a day drinker or anything. It's not. It wasn't like that. It was just the, at night. But when I go places like the river and stuff, you drink all day because beers. Because as you do, you're on a boat. You're like, hey, throw me a beer, and you know, you know. And if it's around me, I'm gonna do it. Yeah. So I just remember like having this. I remember telling Jill, going, Ugh, like I don't think I can go out there because I have, like I have to drink. And th- that was one of my things where I always felt so guilty because I knew I had a drinking problem. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I knew that. I wanted to be respectful around other people like my dad who didn't drink. And I was like, I never drank around him because I was just trying to be respectful. I mean, it's just my in my DNA. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to be some belligerent dude just, you know, being an idiot and getting drunk around people that I shouldn't be getting drunk around. Yeah. But I knew that I'd drink every day. So I was like, so I never went. I Jill told me the story and I remember thinking how sad mm-hmm. he doesn't think he he doesn't feel comfortable enough because we wouldn't care if he was drinking not. in front of us yeah. that wasn't yeah. disrespectful to us we didn't feel right. that was a disrespect but right. I just also remember thinking and I didn't think that you had a drinking problem I just thought that you just like to drink so you felt uncomfortable drinking around us yeah but I remember you telling us that afterwards that yeah. that's why we never came to the river now you come to the river yeah. Now you're out yeah. of the river. Yeah. Now, oh, yeah. <laughs> now, now they can't get rid of us. No. No. Uh, are you, did you do a 12-step program? I did. I did. And that was really big for me because, you know, AA is really interesting because there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, God in it. Yeah. And for people who don't believe in God or they have a different kind of God, then they're like, well, how do I relate to AA? Because I, I don't do the whole God Jesus thing. Like that's not my, you know, I'm I'm Buddhist or I'm whatever, whatever, or I'm atheist, um, or of any other denomination that doesn't do the the Christianity role. Right. Um, and then I and and it's like I was born, you know, we went to church and it's just normal, I guess. Orange County Christian family. There's nothing. There wasn't, you know. I think when my parents got divorced, we kind of quit going to church. Um, but I grew up in the church. Uh, and so for me, it wasn't a big deal, but I hadn't been to church in a long, long, long time. And, uh, for me, it was, it was interesting because AA, a lot of people get turned off from it, but I learned a long time ago that it, you know, like anything in life, you take what you need from it and you leave what you want to leave, you know? And for me, it was easy because, you know, I, you know, it wasn't like I was this really hardcore Christian that I was like, yeah. And, you know, it's like, I, I'm really connecting to this. But for me, it wasn't weird for me because, you know, I was Christian and I was like, okay, this is great, you know. Uh, but the whole AA thing for me was I needed answers. I didn't know how I was going to pull it off. I didn't think I could make like two days without drinking. And I didn't, I didn't know how I was going to do it. And I had no confidence and it was really scary. It was really scary. And all I wanted was advice and answers. And the only place that I was really going to find it in my mind was AA. So I started going to AA meetings and it really helped me. And it was really, it it was a long path too at the beginning because I was very, uh, I was very, I just I had so many answers and I just needed when I go to AA meetings, it's like, you know, and people will tell you this, all you know, like some AA meetings are painful, you know, like you listen to these speakers meeting and you go, I don't I, 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 I didn't relate to one of these guys like I don't, this. I will left the meeting feeling worse than when I entered. And I remember talking uh, one of my first sponsors and I'm not I'm not giving his anonymity away because he's very vocal about being sober and the program is Joe Walsh. And and I remember talking to him one time and saying, 
he said, how are your meetings going? And I went, uh, I go, honestly, I go, I've, I've had a slew of really bad ones and, you know, I, I'm kind of having a hard time with it altogether. And he said something that stuck with me and he was like, make sure when someone's speaking and you are not connecting with them, you have to check yourself and make sure that you're concentrating on the similarities and not your differences. Because if you concentrate on your differences, it life is going to be hard. If you concentrate on your similarities, and he goes, this is not in just AA, but he goes, it really helps in AA. He goes, if you concentrate on your similarities, you're going to have a lot easier time in life, period. And especially when people are speaking in AA meetings. And, and I went, okay. You know, I just kind of took the advice and kind of, you know, went on my way. And then the next meeting I went to that I was not connecting at all, I just, I think some guy was talking about something. He's out of jail and he's on his fourth DUI and stuff. And I'm sitting there going, I can't relate to any of this stuff. I've never been in jail and I've never had a DUI. I you know, and he's talking all this stuff and he's just going on and on and on and on. He was kind of a bummer the way he talked. I was not engaged at all. And, uh, and then he started saying a few things and I was like, that's me. And, he's, and he said, and then I did this. And I go, I've done that. Oh. I've done that a, a billion times. And people in the room are laughing going, yeah, I did. I've done that. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it was like, and then it got, AA got a lot easier for me because I was like, I learned how to approach it differently. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that a great, I mean, that's something that all of us, especially right now in this world oh that God, we live yeah. in. In the if, political climate. I mean, just everything in general. I, I keep saying that, that we have so much more in common yeah. than we have. And everyone's everyone right now is so separated. And, you know, it's they're like, looking yeah. for the differences instead yeah. of for the similarities. That's right. And if we can just approach life and approach relationships with these people that are yeah. different than us. Mm-hmm. I mean, how boring is it if everybody was exactly the same? Yeah. I mean, yeah, and, exactly. and that's the same thing even with AA and just your recovery yeah. process. I mean, well, it's going to be different, but a lot the same. Yeah, I was I was just having that conversation with my kids. I have an 11-year-old and an 8-year-old, two boys, and we were in the car yesterday, and my 8-year-old was lighting up my 11-year-old about how there was something that there was something that my 8-year-old liked that my 11-year-old definitely was not didn't like, mm-hmm. and my 8-year-old couldn't figure it out. Mm-hmm. And he was like, I can't believe you don't like that. And I, and, and, and I stopped and I said, hey, that's what makes the world go around. Right. You know, he doesn't like, he, oh, we were talking about cars. And my eight-year-old loves cars. He loves, he loves sports cars. He loves everything, trucks and everything. My 11-year-old could really care less about cars. Mm-hmm. And my eight-year-old is like, why don't you like this Lamborghini or whatever? And, I, and, and he was like kind of goofing on him. Like some guy would go, dude, if everyone liked the same stuff in life, Life would be really boring, man. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? It's like that's what makes the world go around is that everyone has their own thing, their own passions, and, and it's different than your neighbor. And that's why there's people that are really good at cooking. And I'm like, you don't like to cook, but the food, you like going to eat good food. Well, someone was interested in food and learned how to cook that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like it's not you. Right. You know, so it's like, you know, but I yeah, I think that back to the AA thing I, you know I needed answers and AA is where I found it and so I did do the the whole AA deal and, and I still go I don't go as much as I used to but, but I you know like I feel if I feel I'm getting really stressed I've never been to the point so far knock on wood in the last seven years where I'm, I was scared that I was going to drink but I've had moments where I've been incredibly stressed out going if I was drinking I would drink right now uh-huh. that but would- be your escape right now absolutely Mm -hmm. being on tour just getting back to that and being sober yeah that is a challenge yeah it is i mean it is it is i know i've been on tour with you i mean i've gone to to your some of your shows and yeah you know it's a totally different ball game yeah you hang out with us afterwards instead of going with the rest of the band yeah uh, and, and I try and go out with everyone and i love it you know i get along with everyone and everyone's got you know it's just one of those things where you know, I, I learned early on when I quit drinking that I can go anywhere for about two hours. And then after the second hour, it usually starts getting a little sloppy. I don't care whether I'm with my family or with, you know, at a going to, you know, a Super Bowl party or being on tour. Anywhere you go, the first two hours are always great. And then it starts getting sloppy. 
And so, except at my house, except at your house, <laughs> the party just yeah. beginning. The party at the party just keeps going. Hours, man, going, it going. just keeps going. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. don't need no alcohol yeah. to do that. We're high on life. Yeah, high on life. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I, you know, I feel like, uh, you know, tour, you know, is, you know, it's, it's lonely on yeah. tour. Yeah. For anyone in any band and any, you know, anywhere in the world, it's like. You're not with your, I, you know, it doesn't matter. Like I said, it doesn't matter what band you play in. It doesn't matter anything. It's like you are not with your f- wife and your kids and uh, your closest friends that you hang out with at home every day. Mm-hmm. And you're not, you know, you don't have your car and your independence. Your support. Your support. And you're you're not in your daily routine. And uh, you're, well, you, you actually get a new daily routine. Mm-hmm. But, you know the the one that is at home which is the one that everyone usually you know you want to be in you know when you're not in it it can get really lonely so of course drinking is an easy way to not be lonely right or a really bad <laughs> or it can make you 10 times as lonely right you know yeah. what i mean yeah. can you imagine during this time covid we're all dealing with covid and still yeah. trying to figure out where we're going to be in the next year yeah. The amount of drinking that's going on. I mean, yeah, they said that it's gone up like uh, alcohol sales. I know a guy who owns an alcohol distributing company. He says alcohol sales in the last year and like a little over a year has gone up 500 percent. Can you imagine? It. 500. Well, yeah. it's one of the only things open. A liquor store. You can go to yeah. a liquor store. It's essential. It's essential. <laughs> it is essential. So I've heard. <laughs> yeah. So, so we've heard. Yeah. It, yeah. You know, there's times when I'm thinking it might be essential for me. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I know. Yeah. Yeah. Lately. Yeah. I'm yeah. like. But yeah, it's uh, you know, it's just one of life's challenges, and you just learn how to. Do you give your sons it. advice? Are they too young at this point? With, Eleven and eight. With well, I mean, since we're talking about alcohol, that but actually, musical advice. Are they yeah. on that path? Do yeah. they want to do that? Yeah, I mean, they're little kids, so of course yeah. they want to. Of you course, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and they both play and they both practice. My eight-year-old plays drums and piano, and then my eleven-year-old plays sax and piano. Oh, really? Yeah, which is actually really fun. That's fun. Um, do you have jam band? The yeah, we have a band. Yeah, <laughs> they have a band. We have a band. We have a little Instagram. We're called the Quarantines. Yes, <laughs> yeah. it's exceptional. It, yeah. it started during. The quarantine. The yeah. quarantine. It's yeah, shocking. I was like, what are we going to do? We're stuck in this house and the kids aren't going to school. And I'm like, I'm, I'm going crazier than yeah. they're going. Yeah. And then uh, I was like, all right, we'll start a little band. When yeah. you, when you uh, check out the quarantines, check out the drummer specifically. He looks like the most uninterested drummer on the planet. <laughs> he's so bored. He's so bored with this. Yeah. He's just so I think one of the videos, he actually yawns while he's playing. <laughs> he does. He does. He yeah. yawns while he's playing. Yeah. And there's a dog in the background usually. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah, we'll it's just us in yeah. front of the fireplace. That's right, the good times. That's it's good awesome. family times, right there. It is awesome. We're gonna yeah. we've we've been under we've been going through a a house renovation that I can't talk about yet because it hasn't aired, <laughs> but it'll be on a TV station. Oh, okay. And, uh, and we've been going through that for the last five almost five months so oh. you know that and tv show where it shows that it gets done in two weeks yeah 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 yeah. yeah. not so it, much it's you not mean so that's much. not real yeah. it's not real <laughs> it's not real it's not real really yeah. not real and, and everyone loves everyone if that's not real either no <laughs> no it's not possible. no one's speaking to not, anybody yeah. when right everyone's now. speaking to each other that's not real either mm-hmm. uh so we've kind of lost our house for the last almost five months mm-hmm. and so we really haven't had our stage or where the kids practice every day has not been there. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're, we're now we're just getting the house back. It's it's not done, but it's almost done. And we're going to start recording again and good doing some songs. Good. Who's your um, musical influence? Like who's the band or the person you go? I love this guy. You know, that's so hard. People ask me, like, what's your favorite song? What's your yeah. favorite band? Right. It's so hard to answer that because like. I like so much music. Like, I like stuff from there's. I like some country music, and I, you know, I I don't look like I would, but I do. And <laughs> and I like, you know, I like some pop music, which I, you know, probably wouldn't admit who I like <laughs> on a microphone. I know who yeah. it is. <laughs> You know who it is? <laughs> what does it rhyme with? Ritney Mears? <laughs> <laughs> Mustin Mieber? <laughs> no. No, uh, no. We won't put you no. on the spot with that. No, but it's, it's okay. like, you know, it's like, oh, gosh. I mean, like, as I was driving here today, I see a rainbow, and I just started singing the Rainbow Connection in my car. Oh, as I, I go, mean, I, I was like, 
Paul Williams wrote that. It's like I sit there and go. I thought it was Kermit the Frog. <laughs> well, well, he, he's he co- made he's it a famous. Co- co-writer. Okay, good. Ooh. Kermit uh, the Frog. Yeah. Kermit the Frog. <laughs> uh, but you know what I mean? It's like I like songs from you know my kids. I I try and show my kids the old classic movies instead of the new you know or like the old cartoons. Like the new cartoons are just so fast and just the with nothing going on, no good music. And I go, watch this old Scooby Doo or this old Tom and Jerry. This is. This, this is great cartoons, yeah. you know, and then they get really into them and then they don't even want to watch the new stuff. Yeah. And then I show them all the old movies that, you know, that I grew up on and and I'm going, oh, the first thing I'll think is, oh, they're going to get bored. They're going to because they're used to this fast. They play video games all day and they, you know, and they'll just get so into like my kids right now love the original Annie. Oh, really? And they love it. And they'll watch it over and over. And I love that, too, because it's like for me, I go, this is a this was back when people really spent time with movies with choreography and music and stuff. It's like it's not like that anymore. It's like La La Land is as close as we get. But that's kind of for adults. You know what I mean? That's not really a kid movie. But my kids love La La Land. When you when you watch a movie, you literally are listening to the music as well. Oh, yeah. Like that's. Yeah. I mean, I've been with him. We've been at the river and we'll be on the boat and he'll be hearing He'll be like, did you hear that part that, you know, of that song? And I'll be like, I have no idea what you're talking about. All I heard was, you know, yeah, what yeah, everybody yeah. else is hearing. And yeah. you hear every I'll hear it. I'll, I'll listen to like a, a Domino's commercial and I'll be I'll listen. I'll go. Oh, that was really interesting. What just happened there? Oh. <laughs> no, I'm just listening to the music. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, it's like yeah. I'm not listening to the seven dollar pepperoni. <laughs> deal. <laughs> Although that's not a bad it thing to hear. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty yeah. Good right about yeah. That. yeah. 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 Have you done any commercial work like that? I have actually. I've done a lot of commercials for Kawasaki. Oh, and then uh, I've done. I've I, yeah. I was writing. I was just. I just did a slew of commercials for Farmers and Merchants Bank. And oh, just kinda, really? Yeah, I've done. I have done a lot of commercial stuff. Yeah, I was writing music for this show on Discovery Channel for the, about the last year, and it just ended because it's a British show, and now it's going back. Oh, it's called Wheeler Dealers. Oh Sorry. yeah, Wheeler Dealers. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and so I ended up. Uh, I was doing a lot of music for them, but it's a British show, and they had transplanted all the British guys to L.A. And uh, and now it's going back to England. So I think and they they want to do like all in house. Yeah. So I think I'm losing that account. So you're yeah. not going to move to London. No, not I today. I think not I'm losing that one. Yeah, no, I think you're going to lose God. that one. We won't yeah. let you leave. Yeah. So one of the things that we like to do with our guests. Yeah. Is ask them for their tagline. Mm-hmm. You know, we're two average girls, which is our tag. But right. your tag is like maybe your takeaway gift to us. Something that you have learned in your experiences um i can i already know what it is oh you do oh, tell yeah. me. i mean i have two i have three phrases that i always live by and i tell my kids the same phrase i go live by these phrases you'll be fine okay what are they don't major in minor things oh i love that phrase okay, i'm gonna write this down actually mm-hmm. my second one is that i live by that i live by and i wish my wife god bless my wife i love her but she does not live by this i at know all. what you're gonna say on this one if you're early, you're on time. If you're on time, you're late. If you're late, you're fired. And I live by that because it's true. If you're early, you're on time. If you're if someone says show up at six and you show up at six, you're late. You know what I mean? It's like and if you show up after that, you're fired. You're out. Where so, did you hear about that? Where, where uh, did that come from? When I was in the Allstate jazz band, high school jazz band, the director, a kid showed up late and this director ripped this kid apart. He was a sax player ripped him apart to the point the kids started crying well yeah and then because he was late and and uh and he yelled at him and that's what he said he said remember this and he put his finger he goes everyone remembers he put his finger in the kid's face and i was like all right i'm gonna listen <laughs> he goes if you're early you're on time if you're on time you're late if you're late you're fired and the kid's sitting there crying and yeah. it's like and I, I i i never forgot that right i don't think that kid was late again Probably, I never was. No, <laughs> until I got married. Right, <laughs> it happens. Amy, not late to everything I go to. Your your wife can't be good at everything. No, that's no, right. you're right. That's definitely the other one. Is uh, uh, the oh gosh, I don't have to remember. It was a, it was a quote by a guy. Is like he's like a kind of a motivational speaker guy, a guy named Jim Rohn, and he had this saying, and it was, uh, uh, it's like. I'm going to say it wrong. This is not the exact quote, but this is the gist of it. Okay. And I've, I've I've always tried to live by this because it's a great way to live life. He said, two extra things you do makes 90% of the difference. So if you 
if you're hired to to vacuum the floor in this room right now, and and you said, hey, I'm gonna give you five bucks, vacuum this floor. If I vacuum the floor, but I did two extra things, like I straightened this up and I straightened that up and I folded those blankets, and then I walked away, and you walked in, and all I was supposed to do was just vacuum the floor. But you noticed that I did your blankets too, and I straightened all this up. It's like he he said the two extra things you do makes ninety percent of the difference, and I and it's like I I I I agree with that. Like if you go above and beyond and do two extra things that you were not expected to do, people flip out. Yeah, absolutely. They do, yeah. and I go that wouldn't have taken me another minute and a half to fold that blanket and to straighten this up. Mm-hmm. But when you walked in, I promise you would notice it, and you'd be like, wow. He just did the blanket and did this too. Like, and it'd be like, I didn't even ask him to. And wow, that was really nice of him. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But it really didn't take anything out of me, but another two minutes. Right. You know. Very good. All right, Jason, we so appreciate having you here on the podcast today. Heck yeah. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We appreciate you listeners as well. We'll see you next time. We are two average Average girls. girls.